0: Hello, friends. Welcome to Nexus, a smart buildings technology podcast for smart humans. I'm your host, James Dice. If we haven't met before, I write a weekly newsletter on this same topic. It's also called Nexus. Each week, I share what I've learned, my opinions, and what I'm excited about in the quickly evolving world of intelligent buildings. Readers have called Nexus the best way to stay up to date on the future of this industry without all the marketing fluff. You can check it out and subscribe at nexus.substack.com or click the link in the show notes since starting the nexus newsletter many of you have reached out to me wanting to talk shop and we have after a few weeks of those wonderful conversations i realized i needed to record and share them with our growing community so here we are the nexus podcast is born this is our chance to explore and learn with the brightest in our industry together Episode 18 is a conversation with Logan Soy, a founder and CEO of Aquacore. We unpacked Aquacore's approach to smart buildings, which is rooted in solving the problems of a few core user types in the real estate industry. Logan gave his answer to why building tech is 20 years behind the tech in our personal lives and his journey from the telecom industry to founding Aquacore in order to do something about that. We also went on a bit of a rant together on the energy management hierarchy of needs, which was fun. Finally, Logan introduced a new feature that his team just announced, it's called Projects. I love the Projects concept and think it fills a key gap in the energy management process. This episode of the podcast is directly funded by listeners like you who have joined the Nexus Pro membership community. You can find info on how to join and support the podcast at nexus.substack.com. You'll also find the show notes there, which has links to Logan's LinkedIn page. Oh, and by the way, if you take a look at your podcast feed and you're missing some episodes, that's because those episodes are exclusive to members of Nexus Pro. Sign up for a Pro membership to get your personal podcast feed with access to all of the episodes. Without further ado, please enjoy episode 18. All right. Hello, Logan. Welcome to the Nexus podcast. Uh, it's great to have you. Can you introduce
1: yourself for the audience? James, great to be here. So my name Logan Soya. I am the founder and CEO of Aquapor.
0: All right. Can you take us through what is AquaCore? and maybe start at the beginning? You're a founder of it or the founder. What what led you to start it and what's your journey to get to where AquaCore is
1: today? Sure. Yeah. So like any story like this, it, it is quite a journey. So I'll see. Let me see where I should start and how I can go to where we are today. My origin story is I'm a physics student by training. By academic training, I got into the telecom space and my first professional career prior to Aquacore was really in the telecom space, deploying large multi-million dollar operation centers for at and and Verizon and their international counterparts. So that was my professional skill set. Over time, I was always passionate about energy, always passionate about what I call like hard, durable value creation, if that makes sense. So really just, I actually almost tried to do a PhD in like alternative almost borderline crazy cold fusion energy or something like that. And
0: okay. didn't
1: I didn't get a, eventually, I guess I got a letter as I was talking with the, the sponsor of that research that his program was getting shut down. So it shows okay. you how crazy I was trying to push the <laughs> limit at okay. one point. Anyways, was lucky enough to have a pretty fun run as a telecom engineer, wanted to go further, had a, the entrepreneurial bug, Raised a couple million bucks to try to start some internal communications initiatives, but ultimately found myself dissatisfied with that sort of culture. Just like I think had too much of an itch to try to make a difference and didn't want to follow the rules, if it. makes sense. And so did my MBA at Georgetown. My MBA at Georgetown is really where Aquacore started. I was searching for something that was a Venn diagram between what I knew how to do professionally and what I was personally passionate about Mm -hmm. and was fortunate enough to get more and more into uh, this idea of energy monitoring, smart home tools. had a kind of a knack and an interest for it. And, and had some entrepreneurial classes at my Georgetown MBA, which I will give them credit to that really pushed me out of my comfort zone to actually try to create a business plan for the early version of Aquacore. And, and ultimately just grew fascinated by the wastefulness of buildings, the inefficiency of buildings, the lack of communications technologies. I think in particular, the thing that struck me was I was working in the telecom world where 99.99 percent uptime is required in order to have our cell phones work and so what i was doing is i was deploying network monitoring systems to oversee thousands of devices that make our cell phone communications work and monitoring thousands of points of data across thousands of pieces of equipment and then ultimately creating slas that would drive a truck to get deployed to go repair a cell phone tower Or a piece of equipment on a cell phone tower if something went wrong my favorite example is like i was working on a telecom company in bahrain and i had a monitoring system that i deployed so that when the ship dropped anchor and cut the fiber optic cable going from dubai to india like it was like my monitoring screen that would like that i designed that would announce that dispatch a bunch of people to go fix the cable so that internet could be repaired between countries or something like that and so that was like a super fun. And then realizing that real, you know, buildings just did not have any of that connectivity. And so as a result, buildings were extremely inefficient, extremely wasteful. And this idea that if, I, if AquaCore, a, a good monitoring solution could be in every building across the United States would save $40 billion a year, felt like a big, durable, hard problem that was interesting and exciting for me to try to tackle. So I came at this industry having no experience in real estate, no experience in the built environment, just more of an IT background than anything else, and then a, a deep curiosity for for why things are not working as I would hope they would be.
0: That's fascinating. So you have a very similar story to, to start off this episode as uh, Prabhu from Facilio, who like he had a very similar background in the telecom industry which i know you had told me that before last time we talked and it just didn't dawn on me that you were used to things being so connected and uptime and connectedness being such a big thing and then you just look at buildings and you're like oh there's this huge gap here oh yeah what happened okay
1: i remember my first so um credit to Georgetown's MBA program and entrepreneurial program. So my professor really pushed me to do some on-site interviews. And here I was pretending to know what I was talking about, doing my first sort of uh, site visits with like facility guys. And, oh, so what does this do? Oh, that's a switchgear. And just like really deep acknowledgement of the, the level of just spreadsheet driven or not even spreadsheet, just rolled up diagrams in a basement type situation that so many buildings still live in today, and and just a profound appreciation. So my journey was really starting at the boiler room and just like wanting to know those users, wanting to understand why their jobs are so hard and could communication and t- telecommunication help make those jobs a little bit easier was the starting point.
0: Got it, all right. So that's what kind of led you into the building's world. So give us the history of Aquacore after the Georgetown MBA program.
1: Yeah, fortunately, managed to raise uh, a small bit of capital to get my start and choose not to pursue anything else outside of my MBA. Went full-fledged into Aquacore probably weeks into my MBA, frankly. And then eventually, actually started in like really granular circuit level monitoring. My very first sort of trial location was a, a bar called Little Miss Whiskey's where I did like circuit level metering And I remember that eventually my product got unplugged because the slushy machine was more important than my energy monitoring tool for the restaurant. So really just like basic stuff in the early days, but lots of crazy fun, just entrepreneurial stories, if that makes sense. Moving forward, realizing that circuit level metering was quite challenging, quite hard to deploy. Uh, value there wasn't quite as um, meaningful, eventually worked my way upstream to utility level metering and realizing that there's just more value to be created for larger assets. So that's when I finally started to get into real commercial assets that Aquacore is like core bread and butter. And then eventually realized that there was an entire world called real estate that exists that is an industry that buys and sells buildings. And so suddenly there was this c- complete transformative awakening that says, okay, I'm not actually just solving the problems of the building. I have to understand who are the users in the building? Why do they do what they do? How does real estate work? Why do people buy and sell buildings? And if I can answer those questions, then I can bring it all the way back to why are buildings inefficient in the first place? And so Aquacore's journey from, you know, 2000, fourteen on it has really been this kind of discovering process that I call from the boiler room to the boardroom. Just like going all the way from your classic on-site building engineer and their challenges all the way up to the Blackstones, the Goldman Sachs of the world and trying to understand like how does building efficiency matter to institutional owners of real estate. So that's where AquaCore is today, where we are serving predominantly these institutional owners of real estate to have a platform that they can oversee their day-to-day energy and maintenance operations and get a holistic kind of single pane of glass to ensure that they are upholding a certain standard of quality at all of their sites. And so that's a far cry from the days of Little Miss Whiskey. And so it's been pretty fun to see that evolution and realize the scale that is necessary to actually make an impact across an industry
0: totally little miss whiskey that's awesome (laughs) you guys have that as your like one of your founding legends of the company that's really cool yeah there's a few founding
1: legends in there hidden in there i don't actually talk about that story very often so i guess it's worth resurfacing that one for this occasion
0: Totally. Your employees that listen to this are going to be wanting to know the full detail of that story, I'm sure. So I do want to dive into the personas because I think what you've taught me so far about that is actually very unique. So I want to dive into that in a minute. But I want to ask this broader question before we dive in, which is, as you have gone on that journey and like understood the industry from the outside first and now from the inside, like why do you think buildings are behind and I like to say decades behind other technology, including the telecom industry, but mostly just like our personal, like the stuff we're carrying around every day. Why, from your perspective, are buildings so far behind?
1: Uh, let me start super broad, like super macro, and then I'll dig into CRE and kind of buildings in particular, or nice. like the, the real estate industry in particular. So super macro trends are, if you think about the industries that got disrupted by technology first it was information-based industries, right? Information-based industries stand the, the fastest path to disruption through technology because you can digitally encode whatever that work is in a faster, easier way. So unfortunately, uh, a lot of the other industries out there in this world that are now going through transformation, there's a common trend, right? It's industries that have some sort of physical aspect to them or industries that have some sort of field aspect to them. And so, The macro things that are, that I'm excited about that bring us to where we are today, but we're lacking in the past, are connectivity to the physical real estate is just really hard. And so that was really expensive in the old days, getting that information to the right people required mobility. And that wasn't around in the old days. And then not to mention buildings are so unique, right? There weren't data crunching technologies available to create highly personalized experiences. And now you have like machine learning and AI and stuff like that to help tackle that. So I think there was a couple more macro reasons that are worth acknowledging first, before we dig into the, why does the real estate industry have its challenges? So that's, you know, step one. And then if you dig into real estate and real estate in particular, But if you look at it, at how it's categorized in Wall Street, like real estate is a subsector of finance. And so real estate is really like an investment vehicle to buy and sell assets that yield a return. So when you contribute to your 401k, Vanguard then takes that money and deploys it to investment managers. Those investment managers then take that money and have to do something with it. And one of the things that they do with it is they buy and sell buildings and because a building is an appreciating asset that will get you your 8% return so that you can retire when you're, when you're ripe and old or whatever. Yeah. Hopefully still very active and still doing lots of cool stuff. And so now you need a nest egg to do that with, right? Anyways, Anyways so it's a weird thing because like, how removed is that from how a building works? Think about that, right? Like that entire ecosystem is out there. And I can tell you that the experts that are really good at investing have no idea like what is happening to make a building actually work. And so there's so many layers of abstraction from one one role to the next, if that makes sense that it's just created this kind of disconnect between the buyers and sellers of buildings, the operators of buildings, the facility managers of buildings. And I think a lot of that is has helped to disrupt the willingness to invest in technology because if you don't get it, obviously you're not gonna be interested in it. Absolutely, yeah, that's fascinating.
0: And I think that's a great segue into like how you guys approach the product and how you approach the market and developing AquaCore as a company. So can you take us through how you've attacked that and specifically how you've mapped out all those people? And the way, the reason I'm so interested in that kind of want to nerd out on this a little bit is because I'm in the middle of developing the Nexus Foundations course for this industry, and I've structured basically this lesson as week one. Don't even begin to start to talk about anything about technology until you understand the people that are involved and how they view things. And not only how they view things, but what does their day look like? What what are their pains? What are their gains? So it sounds like you yeah. guys have gone deep into that. And so I'm happy that I'm
1: interested to to hear you talk about it. Sure, yeah. Look, I think I think this is one man's perception and we've done a lot of research on this, but there's always room for more advancement and more learning. For us, I think the reason why we got set on this course was just, like I said, we really started at the boiler room and then we realized like, oh wait, That person doesn't have budgeting authority, so who does? And that kind of set us on this chain of events to go keep researching further and further down the food chain until you realize that, wow, I didn't realize that my retirement plan is actually related to the building that Aquacore is serving, right? Yeah. What we've done is we have, uh, there are certainly ownership groups and operators of buildings for the most part, right? People that buy and sell buildings and then people that operate those buildings on behalf of the owners. That's a start. And then within those organizations, there's different personas and different personalities that care about different things. And building engineers are the most obvious on-site person who is committed to optimizing and maintaining the building systems, making sure that they're running well, making sure that tenants are not calling in and complaining for a hot call or a cold call or something like that. But that building engineer very often works alongside a property manager or a general manager, as it's called in some industries. The property manager, the general manager really cares about true management of the property from a budgeting aspect, from a leasing aspect, from a tenant happiness aspect, right? And so those are two roles that really like work conjoining together at the building level. But once, what happens when you break out of the building level and you want to start selling multiple buildings or you want to start having a product that can influence multiple buildings over time and so that's when you break out of that and you realize that there are asset managers out there there are operating executives and engineering leaders and property management leaders out there that you really have to ensure that you're catering to the types of reports the types of budgeting tools that they need the variance analysis that they go through an asset manager has a mandate to create value for an investor. And what does that mean? That means that it's the the rent that they're getting from a building minus the expenses that it costs to run the building. And that creates the, the income of the building. And then if they can reduce the expenses by a couple pennies a square foot, then that's when value is created. And value is created in a big magnitude actually for every penny that they save in a building. And you know what you're going to tell a building engineer as to why this tool is beneficial is a very different narrative to what you have to tell the asset manager as you progress this kind of real estate journey. And I think technologists that really love this industry and care about this industry need to really think thoroughly about, Who are the personas that they really want to service with their technology? And what are the pain points that they really are trying to solve? And if they can do that and they can articulate that clearly, then probably they can make a a bit of a better use case in an industry that's otherwise pretty fragmented and pretty hard to realize who does what, with the exception of everybody watching your shows because you've done so much efforts to try to make sense of the space.
0: Yeah. I'm just barely beginning to
1: understand this whole space.
0: I'm wondering how you you mentioned three or four personas, owner, asset manager, operator, engineer, property manager. I'm wondering how you zeroed in on those specifically when like really, when you think about a building, there's also so many other people that have their hands in the pie. If you just think about like energy specifically, there's energy managers, sustainability, there's obviously the controls play a huge part of it so the controls company and we talk a lot about controls on this podcast i feel like i'm barely beginning to scratch the surface there you have design engineers architects like all the people that are just like in it and maybe would need to use the tool as well so how do you think about like this like second subset of personas
1: yeah it's very challenging and that's something that's so interesting about real estate is like you really have a lot of specialists out there and it's a fragmented market where every single every single person has something to contribute and so the question is like how do you pick your battles who do you choose to really spend your time solving those pain points for so in our case i think we just continued our journey of progressing up the food chain as it were to maybe due to my curiosity partially due to trying to understand how to create a process that's efficient and effective for us to create a product that has value but all of those problems are valuable problems that need to be solved in the industries And and it's a really interesting question to understand how could datasets like Aquacore be beneficial to everybody. So Aquacore definitely follows like open source practices and APIs. We're very welcoming of partnerships because nobody's going to be able to solve every single use case out there in the industry. So I think you're right to observe that yeah. I heard somewhere that a typical building has 50 to 70 service partners to make the building mm-hmm. run. So it's right. like, to your point between the electrical contractors, the mechanical contractors, the landscaping, the cleaning crews, there's just a lot of people that make a building actually work successfully.
0: Totally. Cool. Yeah. I'm, I'm again, just trying to learn myself and obviously you created a couple of different dichotomies here. There's like the portfolio and the site. So that like immediately separates them into two groups. And I think that's at least helpful to start with a lot of these contractors are not serving all the sites, even if they're mm-hmm. multiple sites, they're not serving the entire mm-hmm. portfolio and that type of thing. So cool. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's start, let's nerd out on the product a little bit. How have you mm-hmm. gone from that persona journey to developing out AquaCore and, and maybe start with what it is uh, for people to zoom in on the, the capabilities sure. today.
1: Yeah, sure. So I would say, in a nutshell, Aquapor has become a smart building operations platform, and we are enabling and focused on large portfolio and owners to deploy smart monitoring to save energy, automate tedious administrative tasks, and ultimately run a more optimized portfolio is how i would describe it so we we sit at the intersection between these portfolio overseers of buildings and the on-site teams and if i were to break down kind of the benefits of the product we can remotely collect energy data water data gas data bms data utility bill data mash a number of these different types of building telemetries together and our goal is to automatically surface recommendations and project prescriptions in a very clean, tightly packaged format that then a, a layman, a, a non-energy expert, if it makes sense, can look at that project, say, yes, that makes sense. I I understand why I need to go tweak a control sequence or what have you. Let me go do that. And then And then ultimately report that to an executive team in a more aggregated fashion. So for the executive, the portfolio executive looking across dozens of buildings, they now have a single pane of glass to see all of the different projects that are getting executed across their portfolio. Some of those projects are um, being surfaced automatically by Aquapor. Other projects are just capital projects that they planned in their budgets and they want to see how it's going. And if that chiller replacement got executed on time and on budget, all of that information is now in a central repository. I think a big pain point that we recognized was that these, these different kind of capital projects and 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 issues that we were um, detecting were never getting put into sort of a single repository that an executive could really appreciate. And so that's a big pain point that we've been focused on
0: yeah cool and and you and i have talked about this but and i've talked about this in the podcast to everyone i guess but my my whole journey has gone you know through doing energy audits doing retro commissioning projects doing all these types of upgrade and energy conservation measure type of projects in the past. And something that's always struck me is there really isn't like a single place that a portfolio has all of these projects. There might be a spreadsheet somewhere and there might be two spreadsheets, one for operating budget and one for capital budget, but there hasn't been in my view, and I've seen a lot of software demos, there hasn't been like a software overlay that collects all this data and really brings together these portfolio level aspects and the site level aspects to like, figure out how are we going to prioritize projects? And it seems like you guys have prioritized that because of that, noticing that gap.
1: Yeah, I, I would even. I would say that it was a little bit of our own pain point, and Hmm. and it's a a pain point that I think many dashboards and monitoring tools have. If I'm an energy monitoring tool, my belief is call it Energy Monitoring 1.0. The concept was that we would report this data on a dashboard, somebody would look at that dashboard and then they would take an action. But I think we've realized that the world is more complicated than that. And, and also product design techniques have gotten better. And so the question is, okay, what could we do to help users go through the process of changing their behaviors in the way that we would want them to take action based on the data that we're surfacing? So in the end of the day, if we can package it in, in a set of projects, and automate that kind of flow, then I think you have a higher likelihood of individuals changing their behaviors. And then not only that, right, now you can add cool tools like collaboration and chat. You know, if James of the past had a commissioning project that he was working on with a client, he could have quickly done a quick chat at customer, hey, here's this extra piece of information I'm looking for. Can you provide it before the next meeting? So that meeting can be more productive because you've already traded a couple pieces of information and you're really, your meeting with your client is more about getting the impact done and, or closing the project out rather than taking the next step, if that makes sense, because you've already been able to take the next step asynchronously a couple times in the product.
0: Totally. Yeah. It, and I've written about this a couple times. I, I often call it the human in the loop problem you have all of these different types of software that have come into this industry in in the past and they've all surfaced potential actions but i think that then the owner the the operator has to then figure out how do i get from this potential action to uh, a resolved and verified fixed issue or a completed project in this case for using this vocabulary. But I haven't seen a lot of tools take the user of the product on that journey and try to figure out how to streamline and automate that as much as possible. And in in your case, like you just said, bring people together and let them interact around the issue as well, just like we're used to on Facebook or whatever anyone uses to interact with their friends, this is the same sort of workflow that we, we need to be interacting with around these issues in our buildings. Because what I've experienced is the more places you allow, so, so just say you're doing fault detection, for instance, the more places you allow that to break down in between the action, however many places there are to break down, it, it will break down. And so I yeah. think it's about getting to action and getting to resolution and getting to verification as quick as possible. And yep. I, I think that's awesome.
1: And and maybe just to circle back on that note about having these very different personas that look at things very differently, that ability to interact over a common concept called a project in our case, gives mm-hmm. a property manager and a building engineer an opportunity to actually collaborate together and work together to solve the problem. Whereas maybe in the past, energy monitoring was such a foreign topic for a property manager that they were like, oh, that's the building engineer's problem. I don't even know how that works. And I don't know how that connects to me paying the bills necessarily. I know it has something to do with it, but I'm not necessarily totally clear on it. Now it's okay. My month end variance in my bill was off and I can chat with my building engineer and my building engineer has some data that backs up like why was it over or under this month and because there was this project that was going on and so on and so forth. And I think that's really fascinating because now you're getting different disciplines talking about this conversation that has always been so like encased in just a a few select subject matter experts. And so hopefully the goal is that The smart building analytics capabilities of Aquacore can be perceived as not just beneficial for the building engineer and the energy of the building but really smart building analytics can be beneficial to all aspects of running a building even if it's to do with your budgets or even if it's to do with just eliminating some mundane process like accruals and reporting to your accounting team and if we can start there that's a very easy starting point that people can feel like their life is a little bit easier before we get to the really deep really extensive retrofitting of your on-site equipment and whatnot totally knocking down silos i love it uh, doing my best man it's it's not easy it does it's not easy. as easy as it sounds on a podcast but you just got to take it one step at a time
0: <laughs> i love it and and so it sounds like the project's piece is as is a new feature that you're launching probably by the time this podcast comes out, you guys will have some sort of announcement. And we didn't do that on purpose. It was just the timing as it happened that way. But can you talk about the launch of this uh, and kind of what you're excited about with that with projects?
1: Yeah, really excited. For us, I think it's going to be a cornerstone opportunity for users of our product to really have, we, we're talking about this central repository that can show the hard work that the on-site engineering teams are doing day in and day out in a way that has not been illuminated in the past, right? You didn't quite realize all of these things that are happening to keep your building safe, to keep your building running well, to keep your building successful. From my perspective, it's an extremely exciting announcement for us. We're really happy to launch it. We've already seen a number of beta users really enjoying the opportunity to use the project's platform. It really creates a Sort of a two-way collaborative uh, street between portfolio executives and on-site building engineers that is easy to maintain. So you don't have to, if you're overseeing 20, 30 buildings, it's much easier now to go see and interact with your on-site teams number one. Then number two, for each of these projects, one of the things that uh, we noticed is that executives are always just looking for that one-page cut sheet or just some really simple sort of explanation as to what's the status of this project and why does it matter. And so we've really put a lot of effort in in creating sort of a one-click generation, right? If you're a building engineer, you're probably not looking to spend hours of time making the perfect presentation as to why you did this thing. So if we can take that burden off of you and make sure that your hard work is done successfully, then, then I think that's a, another kind of silo broken in terms of making people interact and appreciate the value of the, the facility systems that maintain and keep the building running. Cool, yeah, definitely. I wanna ask also about the
0: the product itself and get a little bit more nerdy, if you're cool with that. It sounds like the projects is like the kind of the culmination of you got the data in and then you're getting data in from, like you said, utility bills, interval meters, and you guys have your own, you do your own hardware there, but then you're also connecting to the building automation system as well. So your projects are the culmination of getting all that data together getting it all into one place, normalizing it, and then you have different types of analytics that you're using to come up with these projects. Can you explain how that process has gone?
1: Yeah, sure. So high-level customers can get started at whatever level of depth of data that they would like. So AquaCore is designed that you could start with basically getting utility bills in first, then advancing to metering data or sub-metering data then eventually getting to much more complex data sets like sensors and backnet systems and whatnot. But in the end of the day, what AquaCore does is it, as you've described, sucks in all of that data into a normalized data set. And what we've really spent a lot of time on is thinking about how to run predictive analytics on that data. To do a lot of the same things that I think traditional FTD analytics does, but with a wider range because we have lots of different sets of data. So using bill data, uh, your tariff structure, and and your utility metering data to create a better optimal start algorithm that factors in your tariff schedule, I think is, is an interesting example, right? And so we have a, basically a library, and that library grows, and clients basically... Can choose. They can choose to start with a very basic data set that has a basic library of 10 or 20 best practices of optimal start, optimal stop, or they can get into much more complex analytics around optimizing your cooling tower for outdoor air, etc. So it's really up to the user to decide what degree of sophistication they're looking for, and that gives clients an opportunity to have a single platform that can grow with them as they get more mature with their own sort of choices to roll out across a single building or a portfolio. But all of it is like the same layer, right? The idea is like it's one layer that is driving these detectors that surface projects and it all surfaces to the same end place, which is this kind of project repository. And so it creates consistency across a user's experience rather than needing to say, oh, I have one tool for Bill analytics and one tool for water leak detection analytics and one tool for HVAC analytics, uh, which I think has always been the pain point that we've heard in the market with our customers.
0: Yeah, even just like the experts of the industry, they always draw this line between like whole building data and system data, and I've been trying to knock that down. When I worked at NREL, I was trying to knock that down in the national lab system. And now I'm just just saying it's all one building. It's just you're getting data from different end uses, and it doesn't really matter where that data comes from. It just needs to be in the same place. And then now we can use all of the data to provide different capabilities. And I I think- One of the pains I've always had with people drawing that line between meter data and system data is that it, it makes, I think it makes the market downplay the importance and downplay what you can do with meter data. Because you can do so much with just utility bills, first of all. And I, I think a lot of people overlook and they don't realize that they don't need to start out by getting so complicated. So you can do true. So much with your meter data. And then even if you just add your 15 minute meter data, now you're like enabling all of the stuff like you just said, optimal start, yeah. optimal stop. Like you can do so much more with that before you even get into complications. And this is like one of my rants is you can do so much with meter data if you're listening to this. Like you don't have to worry about backnet and Haystack if you're just starting out on the energy management journey. Don't even worry about yes. that stuff. Just connect your meter. You can capture a lot of savings like that.
1: It's so cheap, it's so easy, so much faster, so much better. 80% of our clients are predominantly focused on this meter data and build data. And if you don't have the basic blocking and tackling and you don't know that your on-site teams are just d- taking those basic steps to optimize just the high level stuff, then just please do yourself a favor. Don't worry about all those other technologies out there. Just get centralized build management and centralized interval data. If you start there, you will automatically see an an incredible boost in your overall knowledge of your portfolio from an energy perspective, and you will see uh, real results, right? Like with interval data, that's the first layer of data that you can really identify specific things to do to your building to make it better. Build data is great because it can indicate to you leaders and laggards across your portfolio and give you some benchmarking as to where to look but like interval data, now you're talking about very discrete things that you can change in your building that will actually take you on that ESG journey or take you on that energy efficiency journey that yields outcomes and results. And that's with the advancement of interval data coming from utility APIs, right? There are many uh, buildings in the United States today that are eligible uh, for software only interval data. And if you can just sign up for AquaCore take a trial, just do the interval data, we'll help you get set up with those utility interval data inputs. And even if that's just going to illuminate and educate you to have a better understanding of how to take action, that's such a huge, huge difference from not knowing even a basic, just not knowing like what's the status of your energy spend and is it good or bad.
0: Totally. Yeah. And I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> I feel like I uh, took
1: the, I took on the soapbox there. There you so. go.
0: Yeah, I'm happy I'm happy that other people are seeing that light. And you guys have definitely given me a lot of feedback, good feedback on the, the energy management hierarchy of needs. So if anyone wants to dig deeper into that concept, the build data and the meter data is at the base of the hierarchy in case anyone's wondering. So you can dig deeper into that. We'll put that in the show notes. All right. Let's like move it. on from the product and talk about the world we're living in right now. So it's August. I'm in the U.S., but the U.S. is still struggling with this uh, pandemic, and so I'm wondering, like, what your outlook is and what you're seeing with your clients as far as the real estate world, and like what that means yeah. for your your company.
1: Yeah. I think that, look, the real estate world, I think everybody has acknowledged that it is an industry that is most primed to be affected by what's going on with COVID, both in the short-term and in the long-term. It's obviously very variant by asset type, hospitality, retail, obviously getting hit the hardest, data centers probably doing pretty well right now. So I think you really have to take that under consideration. In AquaCore's case, I think there's a couple things that we've noticed. When COVID first happened, it was actually, there was a silver lining in the sense that it was, we saw an immediate jump in product usage because clients that had no access to interval data had to wait until the next bill came out to see what was going on from an energy perspective. How we reacted, how Aquacore reacted is we actually created a series of custom reports that we would release on a weekly basis to our clients where what we would do is we would give them benchmarking data to benchmark, for example, how is their building performing relative to their baseline versus the Atlanta metro area. And so that we would say, oh, the Atlanta metro area on average is 28% lower than their baseline. You're at like 42% this might be an opportunity for you to reach out to this particular engineering team and ask what were the things that they changed and so you could benefit from that across your portfolio and so having a perfect example
0: of what we just talked about so uh, i think a lot of the the prop tech world sorry to interrupt you by the way but a lot of the prop tech world is out there saying we have to get occupancy data on every space and then we can normalize for occupancy and what you've just said is like all you have is one 15 minute meter at a bunch of buildings and then you're able to say what was my drop i don't even care like what the occupancy data is we know that the occupancy has dropped what you're able to say is before and after and then compare that before and after to all these other buildings that have on average observed the same drop in occupancy and that's, that's just right. one piece of data that's right
1: and look like every building is unique Tenants are different, building HVAC systems are different. I trust that my customers you know, know their buildings and know how to take that information, but having timely information means the world to them. And so for us, we actually saw an increase in engagement because of that. And I think overarching, if you zoom out, definitely from a real estate strategy, managing your expenses and thinking about how to manage expenses wisely is is going to be a top priority for our clients into the future until we see sort of economic recovery. So I think that one thing that I'm really uh, pleased by is that I do think that folks are appreciating what remote monitoring benefits can provide. It was thrusted in, into their purview in a way that I think maybe has helped accelerate appreciation for the, the benefit of the technology. Um, you know, look, I think, I think all businesses are probably going to struggle to make business decisions, smart business decisions in a changing world. It's definitely not business as usual. And I think it's going to be incumbent on us to tell a very clear and crystallized story as to what are some specific reasons why technology should be a top investment, especially energy or smart building technology to help them rethink their business models in a post COVID world. And so I'm optimistic, acknowledging that these challenges are real for our customers to rethink their industry in some cases. Cool. All right. Fair
0: enough. Okay. So back to Aquacore, as you think about the release, Uh, happening right now. What are you excited about the next six months to a year with the product and with the company?
1: Yeah, I think I'm very excited is the immediate reaction. I think that AquaCore has come a long way um, and the industry has come a long way to realizing the benefits to the types of technologies that are out there. I also think the prop tech industry has come a long way to realizing that we don't all have to think of ourselves as competitors to one another, that there is an ecosystem out here that we can all work together and find out what are the strengths and weaknesses of the different vendors and and find better paths to partnerships and integrations. So I think looking out into a year from now, I think AquaCore's depth of analytical capability will be increasing substantially I'm excited to also look into partnerships and integrations that can allow other technology providers opportunities to really access the active user base that Aquacore has because they are super cool things that are out there that we went through this hard journey of learning customer personas and learning the industry. So is there a way that we could help accelerate really cool energy efficiency technology out there to fast track some of that? And we're very receptive to that type of thinking, right? Like, I think that's only going to make this industry very much better. So I think in the next year of Aquacore, Aquacore is going to really start to come into uh, sort of its next generation of how it wants to take advantage of the data it's collecting and making it more actionable and, you know, more predictive for its customers. And then I think that's one theme. And then the other theme is just Um, looking for opportunities to really create uh, an ecosystem that that everybody can benefit from both our customers other vendors other makers of energy efficiency related or smart building related tools like how can we start to bring this together in a more integrated fashion than in other industries that i don't think yet has happened in full force yet in our industry
0: cool Love it. Okay, one final question. I've been thinking a lot about this question. uh, And I just started asking it on the podcast. So you'll be the second or third to answer it. You guys have a a great team, right? So how are you um, attracting talent in the smart building space is a problem that I've perceived to be difficult. I've tried to hire in the like, in the past six months, tried to hire people, not for Nexus, but when I was at NREL, And it's a difficult proposition because it's a very specific industry, very niche industry, very specific skill set needed to understand all the stuff we've been talking about so far. But then it's also like we said, there's that gap between where our industry is technology wise and where other industries are and what I perceived for a company like yours is it seems like there there could be a difficulty with convincing them to tackle this problem. And so how do you think about that? And how do you think about hiring and, and attracting talent to this space?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, good question. I think if you're not careful, it is it can be a big challenge, right? You definitely have to set your sights high. And I think first and foremost, I think others have mentioned this, having a, a clear mission and a clear sort of a uh, mission-driven culture, if that makes sense, is really important, right? That allows you to surface the folks that are wanting to work at a place that has a, a deeper philosophy. And so for us, our mission statement is to create global impact by connecting people to buildings. And so for us, I, I hope that we can inspire people that are maybe not newcomers to the industry to realize that there is real global impact that can be created in our space and and I think that's step one step two is if you're looking for a hard technical problem to solve like combining legacy systems smart machine learning analytics elegant user interfaces to address uh, users that may not have that much knowledge of how their building works is a very hard problem. So I think it's about whether you're passionate in energy and climate change, whether you're passionate in real estate, whether you're passionate in hard technology. I think those are the dimensions that we look for. And I think the rest is on us to help tell the story and the narrative of where Aquacore is going in a way that gets people excited about it. There's definitely a lot of cool things on the horizon i think it all starts with the culture and i think it all starts with that root mission that you have to make sure you get right and if you can get that right then i think you can attract some pretty cool people
0: yeah the problems we're solving it might seem like we're solving them in one building or one portfolio but this is a global problem that we're solving and that's what that's a great thing to start with and just the second piece too is it's so juicy Like solving this problem is just so thick and it's endlessly entertaining to me. All the different layers of the problem. I think that's what we we need to attract is people that like that. If you're attracted to that and you wanted to devote your career to that,
1: like this is the place to do it. I love it. Cool. Thanks thanks for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Really love the stuff you're doing and definitely look forward to being as helpful as I can. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thanks, Logan. Talk to you later. All right, man.
0: All right, friends. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, please subscribe at nexus.substack.com. You can find show notes for this conversation there as well. As always, please reach out on LinkedIn with any thoughts on this episode. I'd love to hear from you. Have a great day.